So the child wasn't coming. Abraham kept checking with Sarah. Are you pregnant yet? Oy vey, you keep asking me this for the last 11 years. No. <laughs> and finally, she conceived a plan. Here's how we can get it done. And they would actually have a process where a concubine could give birth to the head of the household in this way. Uh, the birth would take place where uh, the child would be, in some sense, born on the lap of Sarah or given to Sarah immediately, claimed as her son. It never quite played out that way, but they tried to lend God a helping hand. It's always dangerous when we try to lend a helping hand. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So today we're looking at the effectual promise of God. Romans chapter 4 verses 13 and we're going to get into chapter 5 verse 2. And we're going to see righteousness of faith, chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, strengthened in faith, chapter 4, verses 17 through 22, justified by faith, chapter 4, verses 23 through chapter 5, verse 2. But he was strengthened in faith, we find in verses 19 through 22, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. Paul jumps us now, where in Genesis 15, it tells us Abraham believed the Lord. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Now he jumps us to Abraham being right around 99 years old. Since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver in the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So he went at the beginning of his call at the age of 75 and Sarah 65. And there was the call in Genesis 12 that Abraham would be a father. And in you, your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. There was a glimmer of hope. We can get this done. Come on, let's leave home. Let's go where God's called us to go, Sarah. And 10 years later, there's still no son. And God said, look at the stars and count them if you can. So will your descendants be. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. 
He believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And I believe personally, if it was me, and this is the only reason I'm saying it, I believe that I would have said, all right, that son is coming nine months later. It's going to happen. It didn't happen. It still took some time. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 16, Sarah had given up on it. She said, Abraham, take my handmaid, Hagar, that she might conceive a son in my behalf, a type of surrogate mother. It didn't work out so well, but she did conceive a son. And there was a lot of jealousy that was at play there. And Ishmael was born as a result of that. But Ishmael was not the child of promise. Ishmael then became a work of the flesh. So the child wasn't coming. Abraham kept checking with Sarah. Are you pregnant yet? Oy vey, you keep asking me this for the last 11 years. No. <laughs> and finally, she conceived a plan. Here's how we can get it done. And they would actually have a process where a concubine could give birth to the head of the household in this way. Uh, the birth would take place where uh, the child would be, in some sense, born on the lap of Sarah or given to Sarah immediately, claimed as her son. It never quite played out that way, but they tried to lend God a helping hand. Do you think God needs a helping hand? Do you think we get in trouble when we try? Have we ever been guilty of doing it? It's not working out the way you thought. God, I think we could do it this way. It's always dangerous when we try to help God out. Attempting to fulfill the plan of God through the work of the flesh instead of allowing the Spirit to work through our lives. It's always dangerous when we try to lend a helping hand. Galatians 4, 22 through 23 says, For it was written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. And having received the seal of circumcision, we read in Genesis 17, 15 through 20, God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, do not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and also will give a son to her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And then God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. This was the scenario. See, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham, this one shall not be your heir, which at that time was the head of his household, the head servant, the head slave. God said, he shall not be your heir. Look up at the stars, count them if you can, so will your descendants be. Now we jump more time, another 15 years has passed, and God comes in Genesis 17 and says, 
No, Sarah will have a son. And at this point, Abraham is totally satisfied with Ishmael. No, Lord, let Ishmael live before you. Lord, I have a son. And God said, no, this isn't the way I planned it for you. This is the way you planned it for you. No, Sarah, your wife shall bear the son. And at that point, it tells us he did not waver. The Greek word means to separate thoroughly or to be divided. No longer was his faith divided. And have you ever had, can you conceive a divided faith in a sense where faith says one thing and by faith you're trying to walk that way, but your knowledge is saying another thing. By faith, Abraham was thinking, God says that Sarah's going to have a child, my son. But I'm 99 years old, the mind was saying. And his faith became divided, and there was a point where his faith was no longer divided. He was strengthened. It means to be empowered by. He was endued by faith, strengthened by faith. Pastor Chuck used to chuckle about imagining Abraham at 99 years old, sitting by his tent and visitors coming by to chat with him. And Abraham proudly telling his visitors that his wife, who was 89 years old at this time, was going to conceive and have a child. And the visitors walking away thinking, that poor old fool. <laughs> Little does he know, it, it doesn't work that way. Just be nice to him. But mommy, yeah, we know, we know. But imagine, so Isaac, laughter. Abraham laughed. Sarah, we read about, she laughed. Uh, everyone laughed at the thought of it. When Isaac was born, it was reason, uh, laughter of joy. And so we come justified by faith in verses 4, 23 through chapter 5, verse 2. First of all, we read of faith being imputed to us. Verses 23 through 25. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. This blessedness that he believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness, it wasn't written merely for Abraham's sake as an encouragement to Abraham, but it was written as an encouragement to us as well. I don't know if Abraham wrote a journal about the events that took place on that day when in Genesis 15, 6, it says he believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I hope that it's Genesis 15, 6. I've said it like five times already, and it's not in my notes, so I'm just trying to recall by memory. You can tell me after church if I got it right. But, you know, I have journaled things that the Lord has spoken to me before, and I have looked back at them for my own benefit, because it's an encouragement to me. But here Paul says, not just for an encouragement to Abraham was it written, but also to us. It was written to us as an encouragement to us. 
that we might understand that the same righteousness that was imputed to Abraham might also be imputed to us by faith. Those of us who have believed in God, who raised up Jesus from the dead, Jesus being delivered to the cross because of our offenses. It's a Greek word that means it could be translated as a, a side slip, a false step, a trespass. But he was delivered up because of our offenses. And through delivering up Jesus, God not only delivered him up, but he raised him up that we might be justified before God. That Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Our justification, a word that could, be, could mean just as if we have never sinned. Our justification comes by faith in the work of Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. In Romans 8, 32 through 35 Speaking of God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? It is God who justifies. It's not a question. It's a statement. <laughs> you got to read it right. You got to look at the punctuation. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Galatians 5, 18 and 19. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, but has committed to us the word of reconciliation, that we have been reconciled, but it's through Christ Jesus, it's through faith in Jesus, that we have this access by faith, being justified by faith. And we're just going to jump into chapter 5, the first two verses. We'll come back to this when we teach through chapter 5, but I wanted to step into this chapter just a little bit. Verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. This peace, personally, I think this little nugget has blessed me the most as I studied for this message this week. And it's the meaning of this Greek word peace. It's a word that denotes not a relationship or an attitude. Uh, we made peace with one another. We made peace with God. It actually denotes a state that we are in peace. That we are in peace. You think of uh, warring parties, that you can have peace between the warring parties, but, you know, tensions could rise up again and there could be war again. 
This Greek word that is translated as peace here speaks about the state that we are now in. We have peace with God. We have peace. Jesus said, peace I leave you, John 14, 27. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Not let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. It, it goes beyond understanding. We have peace. We are in peace. Jesus not only gives us peace, but it denotes the state or the condition of the person. They are in a state of peace. He also gives us access to God's grace in which we stand. We do not stand in righteousness that we have obtained by the keeping of the law or by circumcision or by good works. We stand in the righteousness that we have obtained through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. What are you standing in today? Are you standing in your good works? You might be doing that before others. You might be judging yourself uh, by comparing yourself to others around you. But when we stand before God, we're not going to stand in our works. Our works will fail us. We need to stand in the righteousness of faith that comes through Jesus Christ. The righteousness that we have obtained by God's grace, which causes us to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you which also you received, in which you stand. We are justified by faith in God who sent his Son that we might have peace with God. God did the work. I hope that we're able to stand in that peace. The effectual promise of God. Romans 4, 13 through 5, 2, we looked at today. And we have seen righteousness of faith Romans 4, 13 through 16, and we learn that the righteousness of faith comes by the way of God's grace. We also have seen strengthened in faith, Romans 4, 17 through 22, and we learn that Abraham did not waver at the promise of God, but was strengthened by faith. Even at the age of 99, he was strengthened by faith. And justified by faith, Romans 4, 23 through 5, verse 2. We are justified by faith in God who sent Jesus that we might have peace with God. To have peace, to have that state. Last week I shared a little bit about my story, being seven years old and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But at 21 to 23 years old, I no longer had peace. We have peace. It's the state in which we stand. And there was a while, for a couple of years, I didn't have that peace. It took the Lord a couple of years to get that peace into my heart. And I can tell you, since 23 years old, I have been standing in that peace. I've never questioned, never doubted again. It's the Lord that had to do the work, and it was the Lord who did the work with me. I tried to help God out. How did I try to help God out? I went forward again. I got re-saved. I got rebaptized. I got my dad mad at me for doing all that. Because 
As a Baptist minister, once saved, always saved. There's no reason you have to go forward and do this. In fact, Dad told me, probably while I was standing up front, you should have talked to me privately about this. Don't do it in front of the whole church. But my heart was torn. I wasn't standing in a state of peace. My dad got mad at me. I knew my dad was mad at me. He didn't yell at me. My dad had a trigger that all the kids knew when he was mad. He could blink his eyelashes faster than anybody else. When he was mad, he would blink his eyelashes at you, not because they were beautiful or pretty, but because he was upset at you. It was just something he did. And he was upset with me. His eyelashes were going quick. It's like, okay, okay. Got baptized again. I went through the motions. And to me at that point, because Dad got upset with me, I went through the motions. And it became a, a headache for my dad. I was already teaching Sunday school. They pulled me out of the class. They had, it just became a mess. That's why my dad was upset. He knew. He already knew what was going to follow. What do you mean? He can't be teaching our kids. He doesn't even know Christ. Well, I did, but I wasn't standing in peace. Same church over in Zion. I was teaching Sunday school. I'd redeemed myself. Coming out of that Sunday school class, still struggling. But I think that is a good thing. I was struggling. I wasn't standing in peace, but I was doing the things that I should have been doing. I was reading the Word of God. I was studying the Word of God. I was even teaching the Word of God. I was going to church three times a week, if not more. I was doing the things that I should be doing. Some people get in that place where they're not standing in peace, and they stop doing everything that would help them find the peace. They walk away from it all. And then they're just roaming around without peace with no knowledge, no compass whatsoever. So I still had God's word as my compass. I still heard the teaching of God's word to help direct me to the truth. But it wasn't until a couple of years later, and I know I've told this, but it stands as a moment in my mind that is always there. I was coming up from the basement of our church to go to the sanctuary, just like our stairway is here, split stairway. I was walking up the stairs. I had one foot on a back step, one foot on the next step. And the Lord asked me in my heart, have you not done what I've asked you to do? And in my mind, I said, yes, Lord, God so loves the world. I quoted John 3.16 to Jesus as if he, he didn't know the verse. I know he does. <laughs> it was more for me than for him. And all I heard was, okay then. To me, it was like, all right, rest in that. And I did. I didn't go forward again. I didn't tell my dad. I don't know if my dad knows this story. Dad, do you know the story? He's in heaven now. He probably knows the story now. But... That little in-my-heart conversation with the Lord on those steps has had me standing in peace ever since. I've been standing in the state of peace. I hope that you are standing in the state of peace today. Father, thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And, and Lord, I do pray that we have the peace, this peace that surpasses understanding. Lord, may it guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
all these things we read about in Scripture that speaks about God's grace, God's righteousness that's imputed to us by faith in the work of Jesus Christ, that you give us peace. Lord, we can know all these things, but just because we have the head knowledge of this, these things does not mean that we are standing by faith, that we have been accounted righteous, or that we have peace. And I pray, Lord, that you would let that be a surety in our hearts today. Work in our hearts, Lord, as you see fit. Maybe, Lord, all I'm going to do is nudge someone today, and hopefully not, but it could be like me two years later. They'll be walking up the flight of stairs, and you'll speak to their heart, and they'll find that peace. I hope they don't have to wait that long, but if they do, Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged to keep walking in the ways of peace, that they would be encouraged to continue in your word, continue to hear your word being proclaimed, continue in the fellowship of the body of Christ to do the things that would help lead to their peace. But Lord, I know that that peace doesn't come by the things that we do, it comes through you, through faith in you. And we have to learn to rest in that. We can't force it upon anyone. Lord, it's a work that your spirit does in us and through us. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in that way. This day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.